Hello, welcome back to another episode of Driving to the Baskets, part of the Basketball Podcast Network. I am Mike here with Dante and Tommy. Fellas, how are you doing today? Doing well, Mike. How are you doing? Uh, I am managing, I suppose. Nice. Yes, nice. Indeed. Always good to hear. I'm doing well. Cool. Glad to hear it. Uh, so big news today is uh, we're, we're recording this just the day after the trade, which sent Sekou Dumboya and Julia Okafor over to the Brooklyn Nets in exchange for uh, DeAndre Jordan, and who was promptly bought out, and draft filler. So uh, we're going to discuss that. We're going to do reviews and previews on Jeremy Grant, Sadiq Bey, and Isaiah Stewart. Uh, but before that, let's hear a quick word from our sponsors. With football right around the corner, it's time to get in on the action with DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the NFL. And with the NFL returning, DraftKings is giving new customers $200 in free bets instantly when you bet $1 or more on any football game. So listen up, you're not going to want to miss the details. Simply head to DraftKings Sportsbook app now, place a bet of $1 or more on any week one game to receive $200 in free bets instantly. If Sportsbook is not yet available in your state, don't worry, it's not a big deal because DraftKings still has huge cash prizes up for grabs all season long with their daily fantasy contests. As for week one, DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at a million dollar top prize, which adds to the excitement of the game. Nothing quite adds to it like a free shot at a million dollar top prize. So with that being said, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN to receive $200 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any football game. Get a free shot at a million dollar top prize with your first deposit. That's promo code THPN for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older in New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Okay, so as we mentioned, the big news. Second Boya is outbound. His tenure with the Pistons is over. He is, or was rather, the last player on the roster whom Troy Weaver had inherited. Uh, the dominoes, so to speak, began falling with Bruce Brown. Uh, what was, I, I believe, a day, maybe two, but uh, no more than two days before the 20, uh, 2019 draft. Excuse me, the 2020 draft. And now, depending on how you look at it, it's either Killian Hayes or Jeremy Grant, who is the longest tenured member of the team because Grant signed his contract before Killian, but Killian was drafted before Grant was signed, whatever the case. Point is, we've seen 100% roster turnover in about nine months, uh, you know, between nine and 10 months. So uh, that's significant. Uh, whatever the case, the uh, the deal itself was Sekou Boya, Julia Okafor, in exchange for DeAndre Jordan, whom the Nets wanted to dump. Uh, the Nets just have a gigantic luxury tax bill coming to them, like an enormous luxury tax bill. So that was basically their motivation to dump DeAndre Jordan. Uh, also, that he's not a good basketball player anymore. I should mention that too. <laughs> that, was, that was some of the motivation. So the Pistons got back Jordan and uh, the team's own 2022 and 2027 second round draft picks, which they had sent out in trades earlier and an additional 2024 second rounder by the Wizards and 2025 second rounder by the Warriors. And Jordan was immediately bought out. He gave back $4 million of the uh, just short of $20 million he was owed in the last two seasons of his contract. And that's the trade. So, Dante, I know you actually thought pretty well of Sekou, uh, at least once upon a time. What are your thoughts here? 
Oh, once upon a time, I sure did. Um, I, I feel like I, I wasn't alone in that. I know he strung together a very strong stretch of, I think it was like six or seven games, maybe, in his rookie season where he, in my opinion, looked very good. And capping that off with, I think it was 24 points against the Celtics. And back when the Celtics were, not that they're an uncompetitive team, but they were very competitive at that time, uh, fighting for seeding in the Eastern Conference. And Seku just lit them up, so... He had showed some promise, but I can say uh, with with some certainty that I'm pretty glad that I don't have to do the mental gymnastics required to pretend that I thought he was going to be, you know, a stud um, because that hope sort of faded out as his time with the Pistons progressed. He, he just didn't really improve in any meaningful way. There was some weird stuff about how he went back to France and didn't tell the team. And there seemed to be like some... I don't know if I'd call it drama, but there was definitely some tension. Uh, you know, I, I know that he gave an interview where he pretty much said that he was completely unsure about his future with the team. So the writing was on the wall. Whether people chose to see it or not is inconsequential now because he's no longer on the team. But he seemed like a good guy. I, I wish him nothing but the best. But yeah, that that, that would be an accurate assessment. I, I was high on him once upon a time. But as that sort of faded out, um, it kind of progressed to the point where when I saw that he was traded, um, I wasn't heartbroken. You know, it happens. And yeah, Killian Hayes, 289 days ago, he was drafted. And then it's been 100% roster turnover since that day, which, I mean, that's a storyline in and of itself. So I think you got to kind of look at it. You don't look at the Seku trade in a vacuum. You look at it in the bigger picture. And the bigger picture is this is Weaver's roster 100% now. So what comes of that remains to be seen. But I like the direction that we're trending. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, Troy Weaver is definitely trying to make this roster his own, I think. This kind of solidifies that completely. Uh, I remember there was an article that Casey had kind of said that Seku lacked intensity, and that is kind of the antithesis of the character of the guys that are considered Weaver's guys. So even though I was still surprised that it, it was, it might have been just the timing uh, that Seku was traded, um, it makes sense. And I'm curious now to see what they do with that open roster spot. I, I, I started to lose faith in Seku pretty quickly. He just, you know, you talk about raw players. Seiko was just another level. Like he didn't, even his body control was just not where it should be for an NBA player. And especially for a guy that, you know, six, eight, that that doesn't mean you're supposed to like run around like a newborn deer the whole time. Uh, so it, it makes sense to me that they were looking to move on from him. Uh, he's just too much of an unknown. And I think the team has a timeline now. So maybe they just weren't willing to wait or they didn't want to give him that roster spot. Well said. Yeah, well said. What do you think, Mike? Uh, I was just thinking when you said he was running around like a newborn deer. This is completely. <laughs> this is this is completely that was relevant. But for for the hockey fans who who listen to this podcast, I'm sure you all remember Neil Yakupov. He was the the number one overall pick in 2012. Guy with a lot of raw talent, but so little hockey IQ that somebody once once described him. I think it was Ray Ferraro described him as always playing like he was being chased around by bees. <laughs> uh, and that, uh, and that, what, and that, you know, how he played, it just, he was never able to make good decisions on the spot. It always seemed like he was just completely frantic whenever he got the puck. But so I really think the outcome of this trade is going to hinge on how Seku ultimately plays. Now, he is not in a good place right now in Brooklyn. It's going to be tough for him to find minutes in that rotation, particularly as I, the Nets, who are as in as win now mode as you can possibly be will probably not be inclined to give him minutes over guys whom they know can produce. Maybe, you know, if there are injuries and he gets in there and he plays well, then he can stick in the rotation, but it's just not a good place for him. 
So I'm curious to see what they do. Maybe they send him to the G League and he's he's a low-cost player who can be part of their future whenever they start to divest themselves of some of these veterans. But we'll see. Uh, I could go either way on this, really. I, I'm, uh, I find myself really strangely indifferent because Seku was... The most recent thing we have from him is Summer League, and he did not do well in Summer League. Didn't shoot well, didn't really do anything well besides help side defense. And help side defense in Summer League isn't really that big of a deal. It's, it's a lot harder to to come over and stuff NBA guys who are just you know blazing their way to the basket at a much higher skill level and a much higher speed. So that was disappointing, certainly. It's just, you can I, can I feel like you can see the potential there if you can get it together. Of course, if you can get it together is the real thing. We talked about what's it going to take for Seku to stay here. Got to become a good shooter. And, and, you know, if he's a good shooter, there's a guy who might be able to switch on defense, then cool, you've got a rotation player there. And I always said from the moment he was drafted, from the moment that he came in and played well in those early games in his rookie season, or his first few games, rather, uh, he, I said, you know, if you can get the, your fifth best starter on a decent team at, at number 15 in the draft, then you've done well. But the shooting hasn't come along. And he he does not really seem to move around uh, and and uh, and make decisions in a high IQ manner, to say the least. I don't think he's a I don't think he's a kind of basketball dumb player, so to speak, but by NBA standards. But I don't think he's really has uh, is a guy who's really going to have a tremendous amount of agency at the NBA level. But again, shoot threes, play defense, you know, cut to the basket, just get to you know, like one of the things that he was good at was just finding good lanes to the basket off the ball. And cool, that's a helpful skill to catch lobs. But I guess Weaver just didn't really think too highly either of his demeanor or his character or his ability to, to get everything together. I do think it's just a shame that he wasn't able to play in the G League last season because there was no G League. And so he never really got the chance, I would think, to develop... To really to see what could have happened if he'd had that time to develop in the G League. So I think, yeah, what will really, the, the, the mark of the straight would be how Seku develops. If he becomes a good rotation player, like even a guy who can play like 18 minutes a night at a decent level, then this was probably a bad trade. But uh, yeah, we'll see. Now, I was thinking back to Dante, the game you were talking about, which was indeed against the Celtics. I think... Um, yeah, 24 points. So that was back when the Pistons had already kind of pivoted to tanking. So I had a friend over and we were watching this game. And I was like, oh, the Pistons are going to get destroyed. And the Celtics came out and played this like hideously bad game. And and Seku, excuse me, Speed, Mikhailuk made all these shots and the Pistons ended up winning. And my friend was, who was an Knicks fan was laughing at me. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, in any event. Yeah, that, that's how I feel. We'll see. I don't feel like the Pistons are really going to be missing out in a great deal, though, either way. So, and, and four second round picks, I mean, sure, some of them are as far back as 2027, but yeah, like I said, I find myself surprisingly indifferent about this. Uh, I just, I don't feel too strongly about this one way or the other. Uh, and that's partly because Seku would almost certainly have spent this season in the G League and then just been gotten rid of altogether if he didn't do well, I think, uh, you know, in, in the 2022 offseason, his, his player, his fourth year player option would have been declined. Yeah, we knew it was a swing for the fences when we drafted him. It was just... One of those things where it's, it's boom or bust. And he was definitely, everybody knew he was going to be a raw player, but just because he's very raw and athletic doesn't mean he's going to be anything special in a long time. You know, some of these guys just flame out and it's the 15th overall pick. Uh, that's 
that's the risk you take. And especially where we were at that point, it wasn't a bad pick. I don't think I would still probably be fine with it. Uh, he wasn't my guy at that time, but uh, I'm not unhappy with it. No, it just happens sometimes. No, definitely not unhappy with it. And, 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 and I will say this, that I would make that pick a hundred times out of a hundred again, given the position that the Pistons were in at the time, you know, they desperately needed uh, to take a swing for the fences because uh, there were very little to absolutely no uh, assets, at least young assets on the team. There was nothing to bank the future on. There was nothing that we had long-term hope over. So a guy like Seku, yeah, you know, he comes in with these extremely, in my opinion, good measurables. Um, a raw player, someone you're going to need to develop. And uh, unfortunately, he just didn't develop the way that we wanted him to. Or if he was going to, he didn't do so quick enough or he wasn't quick enough to show something to the point where he was able to to put himself into the long-term plan. So nothing to uh, beat the organization up over, nothing to beat Ed Stefanski up over. It was not a bad pick. He seems like a very good guy. Like I said, it just didn't work out, unfortunately. And as easy as it is to be enamored by these physical traits, you know, these characteristics that might show that you have potential in the long term. At a certain point, you do have to be a good basketball player. And Seku has not quite shown that he's a useful player at the NBA level. So I'm fine moving on. And uh, I guess that's it on Seku. So actually thinking back to that draft, I'm not sure if I 100% agree that that he was the best choice at the time. I felt like it was a little bit of a, it was a slightly strange choice because you had the Pistons who were in compete now mode. This was, well, compete now mode with a roster that, I thought back then and still believe really had no hope of competing for anything meaningful, but it was weird for them at the time. I had no problem with it. It was looking back unusual that they went for a guy who was so raw that he probably wasn't going to be, I don't think they expected him to be playing in the NBA until, you know, his, maybe his third season. But of course, in the event, things went very differently, but yeah, I know Tommy, you were a fan of, uh, Mikhail Alexander Walker. Who yeah. He was my guy. Yeah, he hasn't really done too much yet, but that was the kind of guy I expected the Pistons might look to if they were looking for a player who's kind of in the middle of win now and develop. But yeah, He's kind of buried down. Weirdly, he's yeah. buried in the death chart in New Orleans. He might get more of a chance now with Alonzo gone, but they did bring in Devontae Graham as well. So yeah. we'll see. But the guy whom I know I brought up, I wasn't like, oh, I was a huge fan of this guy. Uh, I just thought that, that he'd be a good pick for the Pistons was Kelvin Johnson, who did very well last season with the the San Antonio Spurs in his sophomore season. So, uh, you know, it's, you know, look back and say, what should the Pistons have done? And I don't know why I even really brought that up. Ultimately, you change anything. The Pistons might not have ended up with the first overall pick in this draft. So I don't think any of us are looking back in terms of hindsight. But whatever the case, it's over now. And we'll see how he does going forward. And uh, I think we should t- take a moment also to thank DeAndre Jordan for his 12 hours of service with the Pistons. Yeah, Pistons legend. Thank yeah. you, DJ. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, never forget. Brandon Knight never forgets. That's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For those for those who don't get that reference, uh, DeAndre Jordan, basically Brandon Knight rather was the subject of one just of YouTube the most, it. Just yeah. YouTube Brandon Knight DeAndre Jordan. Yeah. It was, it was, <laughs> he was he was the target of one of the most vicious posterizations in probably NBA history. It was uh, one of the most aesthetically pleasing posters I've ever seen. Yeah, and Poor Brandon guy. Knight's, in Brandon Knight's defense, I mean, the guy had no hope of blocking that. And this was partly because Brandon Knight is not a high IQ NBA player by any stretch. I'd say he's really on the lower end of basketball IQ. And if he weren't, I think he would not even, even have bothered trying to block that shot because he had no hope of stopping it. And in the end, he just got dunked <laughs> over and ended up on his back. Uh, nonetheless, you know, props to the guy for trying. Like Kevin Durant, one of the reasons he's gotten posterized so much is that he doesn't get out of the way. And he gets... Uh, 
No, I think I think that's admirable in a way. But whatever the yeah, case, mark yep. of a good defender. Isaiah Stewart's gotten posted a few times too. Uh, yeah, that's true. So, whatever the case, we now have one roster spot open. The Pistons went into this trade with 16 roster spots full against an NBA maximum allowed. Uh, and the maximum allowed is at uh, the day before the start of the regular season. You have to be down to 15. I believe you can carry as many as 20 into training camp. So, and we're talking standard NBA contracts here. Those are distinct from the two two-way contracts teams are allowed. So, we have 14 now. This started with 16. They got rid of two, brought in one. They bought out that one. So, you guys have any thoughts uh, as to to whom that 15th roster spot might go at this point? I wouldn't be surprised if they just keep that open until the end of training camp. Maybe there's somebody who gets an invite who, you know, they dangle that, and that's that's uh, some extra motivation to work hard. I think Christian Wood was a guy who came in, and they, they had him competing with Joe Johnson. I think the team just kind of likes doing that. I wouldn't be surprised if it's Pickett. He showed out in summer league and was shooting the three ball well. You can always use a little more spacing and length. And he wasn't unathletic. I wouldn't be upset if it's him. Or if they opt to bring in some more veteran leadership, I think the team could use a little bit more of that as well. I mean, 100% roster turnover in less than a year, That's I'm not going to say that's unstable. They're clearly very careful with the culture of the team, so I'm not worried about that. But it couldn't hurt to have some somebody who's you know been in the league a bit longer. And uh, we have a lot of soft-spoken guys, like, who are supposed to be in, like, who are in leadership positions. I don't think Jeremy Grant is the most vocal guy. It's it's more like some of these guys like to lead by example. So if they wanted to bring in a culture guy or a, a vocal leadership guy, somebody who's been around, I wouldn't be surprised if it's that either, and I'd be happy with that. But I'm definitely curious to see what they do with it. I was surprised that they opted to clear out an extra spot. Yeah, yeah, Pickett's all right. I mean, it's like you said, Tommy, showed out in summer league a little bit. I know uh, – I think it was the last game or one of the last games where he just went off. You know, he just couldn't miss. He looked really, really good. And, you know, if if we're really uh, wanting to follow this precedent that Weaver and Casey have set, and that's one of a meritocracy, right? If you show up, you work hard, you do your job, and you perform admirably, uh, you will be rewarded. And if that's what they're following to a T, then I don't really see a better option. Uh, but aside from that, I, I agree with your other point, too, that maybe some veteran leadership would be good. Or... Maybe they choose to take a flyer on on someone else who we have no idea how we can maybe predict that moving forward. But, uh, you know, it's interesting to say the least. No one jumps out at me right now. Maybe pick it if I had to choose in staying with the meritocracy. But aside from that, I, I just couldn't be sure. I agree that it could really go either way uh, by many accounts. The well, by the, the accounts of, you know, the people okay. to um, would go for this sort of thing. Should we? Writers, the Pistons did think well of Jamarco Pickett, who shot I think around 50% from three in summer league. That's not really repeatable in the NBA, but he's quick, uh, certain, well, if not quick, certainly mobile. He's got good size, good wingspan. So who knows? Maybe he'll get the shot. I think, he, oh, he's certainly, he's already going to be a training camp. He's on an Exhibit 10 contract right now. So I agree the Pistons will probably bring in some more guys and let them compete for that final spot. And the final thing to think about, does this change, does the trade change anything about the Pistons' free agency schedule? You know, are they going to look to go all in in 2022 or 2023? Uh, looking in terms of, just so you know, solely in terms of cap mechanics, if the Pistons had kept Seku Dimboya, he had a $5.5 million player option, right around the area, 5.5, for his fourth season, which would have been 2022, 2023. DeAndre Jordan gave back $2 million a season. So assuming the plan was to keep Seku, if you know if this hadn't happened, 
the Pistons are only looking at a cap swing of about you know two point five million dollars lost in twenty twenty two. So I don't think this necessarily defines the schedule either way. You guys have any thoughts on that? Yeah, is it possible that the Zach Levine dream is dead? Is that what we're saying here? No, doubtful. Uh, given that, like I said, it's only looking at about two and a half million dollars of difference, assuming a scenario in which Seku stayed with the team. But I think the Zach Levine dream is preemptively dead because the Bulls can't really afford to lose him. Well, let me dream, Mike. Let me dream. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't see the salary implications as being too, too, too crazy. Yeah, I, I viewed it more as a trade for maybe the roster spot, maybe the second round picks, and maybe just as a as a cultural shift. So I don't think it's anything too major moving forward. And uh, Tommy's um, his dreams alive at the bare minimum. Yeah. All right. So let's move on then to the review previews. So as we said, Jeremy Grant, Sadiq Bey, and Isaiah Stewart. So we'll start out with Jeremy Grant. So Grant came over in what at the time was a very controversial contract. This was uh, largely a guy who largely just been a role player being paid suddenly $20 million a season at the start of a rebuild in which teams would typically be keeping that money open to take on bad contracts in exchange for assets. Uh, and in the event, he surprised all of us really. Ended up with uh, 22 points per game, along with around four and a half rebounds, three assists, and uh, didn't shoot the greatest from three or from the field. Uh, we'll talk about why. Uh, well, I can honestly just launch into it. He 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 went on to take really, uh, almost from the very beginning, probably the primary creation role. And so he was taking more difficult threes. He was taking more difficult shots in general. Uh, he was operating on a team that did not really have much spacing, had hardly anything in the way of creation. So he started strong and then waned over the course of the season, really particularly from like the, the last, like his first one third of the season was pretty good. His second third was all right. And his, his last third of the season was not very good at all. But I think he, she really surprised a lot of people and showed that though he's probably not really the kind of player who can be the number one creator on really any team that hopes to have a functional offense, he, he can definitely be like the number two B or number three guy. So if we're just looking at how Grant did overall, uh, he didn't do too well from the field. Ultimately, he was kept efficient by his free throws, got to the line a lot, uh, and he was uh, definitely a good free throw shooter at around 85%. So uh, beyond that, Grant was really just allowed to, it was allowed by Dwayne Casey to just really experiment. He tried these, you know, the pull-up mid-range jumpers, those really, didn't go well at all. <laughs> like actually 40% of his shots came from, uh, came from mid range. And that, that definitely dragged down his efficiency because he only shot 37% from mid range, but took a lot of shots at the basket. Uh, and then, you know, then the remainder from, uh, from three. So I was, I was impressed. You know, I, I think, I, I think he showed what he can do. He's good at getting into the basket. He's good at scoring there or failing that getting absolutely bashed to the ground and uh, drawing free throw attempts. Uh, he, he showed some ability to make pull-up threes and his defense wasn't as good as it had been, but I think that's because of the load he was carrying offensively. So uh, altogether, I, you know, I'd, I'd say it was, it was definitely a good season and only played uh, 54 games out of the 72 games and 72 games, excuse me, in part because he was sad at the end of the season uh, just so the Pistons would lose. So those are my thoughts on Jeremy. I think he just he did he did pretty well overall and in, in an oversized role. 
that was just, to be honest with you, impressed doesn't really cover it. I was honestly, I was just blown away. You know, I knew that he was a good to, you know, decent to good player. I didn't even fathom that he could take on that level of offensive creation and do so effectively. Now, I, I understand that his efficiency sort of tanked as the season progressed there. And then obviously he was sat right at the very end. But it just, in, in my opinion, it, it does a couple of things for me. There, there, there are many reasons to be positive, but the, the main ones that I'll point out are firstly, it really served as a, you know, given that it was Weaver's first big contract. I mean, what a steal. You're really only paying, what is it, $20 million a season for someone who, like you said, Mike, I could maybe be like the 2A, 2B on a very, very good team that's winning meaningful basketball games. And then number two, it's just a great story in general, because how often is it that you see a guy uh, sort of bet on themselves, you know, and fall flat on their face? Like for every Jeremy Grant, there's probably five or six Nerlens Noels. So I, I would say that Grant made the right decision for himself. I think that he made the right decision in terms of my own viewing enjoyment because I got to watch him for 54 games out of the season. And I was just so impressed with the level of uh, offensive initiation that he showed. You know, I don't think he's a, particu a particularly talented passer, but that sort of came along as the season went. Uh, I thought he, he showed a good ability to make plays, especially driving to the basket. He would sort of jump and then kind of dish it off right at the very end. And that's an acquired skill that he didn't show at the beginning of the season that he showed as he had to adapt to how defenses were defending him. Another point you brought up is the free throws. He was drawing them at an incredibly good rate. And that's another thing. He adjusted to make sure that he was drawing a lot of contact on the way to the basket, making sure that, okay, if his mid-range jumper and his pull-up three isn't falling, at the bare minimum, he could get points through, uh, through these free throws. And then on defense, just an athletic freak, obviously, able to guard multiple positions and did so with a high level of intensity and a high level of efficiency both on the perimeter and in and around the paint. I thought he did a very good job. So overall, I would just give it an A plus as a free agency signing. And I, and I love him as a leader too. You know, it, we've mentioned that he's not the most vocal guy. He's one of those like soft-spoken, calm, cool, and collected, um, like very low key players. But, you know, sometimes you sort of lead by example. And when you look up versus the Bulls and he's got like freaking 40 points, He's leading by example. And, and again, I know I've mentioned it twice in this episode, so I'll just say it one more time. It, it's the meritocracy. The Pistons showed Grant, okay, we believe in you. Here's the contract. Here's the keys to the offense. What do you got? And Grant rewarded them by showing the fans and showing probably the front office and the coaching staff that he's capable of even more than anybody thought. So I, I just think it's such a great story. And all these trade rumors, not even rumors, all this speculation being thrown out that the Pistons could potentially trade him. I don't see you going anywhere. I bet you Grant's going to be here for the duration of his contract. And I wouldn't be surprised to see him here longer than that. And I personally would be happy with it. So those are, those are my thoughts on Jeremy. Yeah, Dante, I'm really happy that you brought up the Weaver thing because I had honestly forgotten about it. It was less than a year ago that, that we made the signing and everybody questioned it because in Denver, Grant was just a role player, a good role player, but he was definitely a lower, a lower priority. Uh, within Denver and on the opponent's scouting report. So when he comes here and he does this, the degree of difficulty on his shots jumps up tremendously. And that's where you see these little, well, these uh, perfectly acceptable inefficiencies and uh, uh, dips in maybe percentages. It's because he's carrying a much larger role. And this is something that we had mentioned in the past. Like as the team acquires more talent, uh, he's going to have to shoulder less of that. And hopefully his his numbers are going to perk up. His percentages are going to improve. 
And that's going to be something that I would look at for going into the next season. Now you have Cade Cunningham, a guy who's definitely going to get attention on the opponent's scouting report, and he's going to command a lot of respect from the defense. That theoretically makes things a lot easier for Jeremy Grant. So hopefully his numbers will improve. Uh, for the first year, taking on a role like this, he definitely blew me out of the water. Uh, fantastic year from him, and I'm looking forward to seeing what he does in the future. Yeah, I would say a couple of things that impressed me about Grant. Number one is just his ability to score around the basket. Uh, the guy is really has two advantages, well, two notable advantages, or at least things that, uh, that I'm going to expand upon, rather. Uh, number one is his very long strides. Like He can really pick up the dribble pretty far away from the basket just because his stride length is very long. That really just helps him to get up ahead of steam uh, or maintain his steam, rather, even after he's no longer dribbling. Another is just that his arms are really long. Like He can jump like a couple of feet to the side of the basket, and he still has the length and the agility to pivot and get himself an easy opportunity. So that's really good. Another thing that just should, I think, be noted and, and acknowledged is just Grant's steadying effect that he can have on the offense. Uh, like something that I really was, you know, a way in which my mind was changed on things was like, if you go back and listen to our episodes, episode, uh, that we recorded soon after free agency last season. It's like, you know, why are we bringing in these veterans at all? And, you know, obviously, you know, I know now, at least I believe now yet, yeah, it's definitely important to have those veterans, uh, not just for the veteran presence, but also, for example, with Grant, just that whoever's on the floor with him now, whether it's, you know, whoever it was earlier in the season, uh, last season, rather, when he was on the floor with Isaiah Stewart or on the floor with Sadiq Bey, or next season when he's on the floor with Cade, for example, you have a guy to whom you can give the ball and know that he can do something, uh, do something with it. I mean, that's just, it's, it's a very helpful steadying presence to have versus just resorting to an offense in which things can just all fall apart. Grant's got a veteran mentality. Uh, he's got a good head for the game. He's got a good body for the game. He can score. So I, I think that too is, is very helpful and that that's something one of those things that, of course, is not going to show up on the score sheet, but it's important nonetheless for a rebuilding team. Uh, that said, it's funny. You know, it, it should be acknowledged, certainly, that that Troy Weaver, after signing him, and I know we were all afraid that, oh, we might add, you know, if this guy does well, you know, maybe he had too many wins. I was more than happy to hold him out of games near the end of the season to make sure the Pistons didn't win too often. So, uh, yeah, so just, just overall, I agree. Uh, just just uh, a very, very good season, certainly at the price and in general. And I think that he'll be around when the Pistons pivot to rebuilding. Excuse yeah. me, pivot to, pivot to competing. Now, uh, what do you guys think he could really improve upon for next season? Really, the only thing I'm looking for is uh, improving his percentages because he expanded his game tremendously. I know, Dante, you mentioned uh, maybe the, the passing, but... For all the stuff that he was showing he could do this season, like, yes, like the, the attacking the basket and scoring in a variety of ways there, uh, he's hard to guard. Uh, it's just the often, the opposing defense is going to put so much pressure on him because they know he's the number one option. So hopefully with the addition of Cade, with these guys coming along, guys like Sadiq and Stewart, uh, as they continue to improve, uh, hopefully it's just an easier time for Grant and if he can improve his efficiency that's what we're looking for. I think that's going to be the difference between him being a second option on a, a good team or a third option, uh, just how well he handles the pressure and uh, how much of a threat that he is. Yeah, I agree. I agree. But I think that efficiency is so highly contextual. 
when you try to consider it and you try to say, oh, well, this guy needs to be more efficient. Like, yeah, there's not a player in the NBA who wouldn't be better served being more efficient. But the issue with Grant is that his efficiency sort of tanked. I, I had this theory um, way back. This was like 25 episodes ago, maybe that we recorded. But I, I started thinking that maybe Jeremy had some tired legs because of the titanic offensive workload that he was carrying while also being a big defensive presence every night. And that's just kind of going to happen when you're the really the only talented scorer other than, I guess, Sadiq Bey on the team for pretty much the entire year. So while I would like to see him improve his efficiency, I'm also optimistic that slotting in next to Cunningham, who is going to you know have his fair share of scoring as well and, and his fair share of the offensive creation, will sort of help alleviate those things because the truly talented players in this league can learn to play in tandem with other uh, quote-unquote star players. And so I, I'm, I'm optimistic on Jeremy improving his efficiency just by virtue of the fact that he's going to need to do a lot less. And because he's going to need to do a lot less, he doesn't have to you know settle for shots where he's just completely blanketed. He doesn't have to drive to the basket 20, 30 times a game just in hopes of creating offense for a team that's struggling to create offense around him. He could play more of a role. And I don't mean that he'd be reduced to a role player like he was in Denver, but a role as in you have your role on the team that's not do 100% of the creation 100% of the time. So I'm, I'm not sure if that makes sense or not, but that's sort of how I kind of view that efficiency discussion. Yeah, absolutely. The guys who are carrying this huge workload, are def- you can definitely expect and be okay with a little bit of uh, reduced efficiency. And that's the benefit of bringing in a guy like Cade Cunningham, who figures to shoulder uh, a lot of that usage. Uh, you can expect Jeremy to be able to have the luxury of having uh, somebody else who can take on these these challenges with him. And in that case, his usage rate may drop, but you can expect his scoring efficiency to tick upwards. And that's exactly what you're hoping for when you have a talented roster. Agreed. He really just had to create nothing out of something a lot last season. So he definitely, well, note again, he absolutely slowed down over the course of the season. Like in, in the final third of a season, he really wasn't a very good offensive player as his efficiency really went into the crapper, so to speak. So, I mean, there are things that you can look at to account for that. I think that one of them, uh, probably the primary one, I would agree, is just fatigue. And It's not simply, I think, that he was unaccustomed to handling that sort of offensive load. I think the guy just plays in a certain way where he just gets the crap beaten out of him when he's going to the basket. I mean, it's been a long time since I've seen another player who gets dumped out of the air so often as Jeremy Grant. And I mean, granted, the guy's, no pun intended there, granted, haha, but... Good one. Thank you. Unintentional. (laughs) I promise. I promise I don't come up with jokes like that on purpose. So Grant was great at drawing fouls. I mean, the guy had... A, a shooting foul percentage, a shooting fouled percentage of, of upwards of 14%, which means that he was getting to the line on upwards of 14% of his shot attempts. That is excellent. He was even good at drawing fouls when uh, he was not shooting. I mean, the, the guy was just very good at drawing fouls in general and, and, and good, very good at converting his foul shots when he got to the line. But it's just like, man, he would just go up into the air and then suddenly he'd be flat in his back. I mean, he was the guy, on the back a lot, like yeah. a lot. <laughs> yeah, the guy was just, I mean, it wasn't so much that he was, it wasn't just that he was getting fouled a lot. It's that he got fouled in the air a lot and it wasn't dangerous. It's just the way that he goes to the basket. He happens to be in the air trying to flex those very long limbs of him uh, around, uh, of his rather around to get into a position to lay the ball up. And then somebody hits him. 
and it's not a dirty hit, but it's just based on where he is. He ends up on the, just on the ground. So yeah, I, I think that it was tiring for him. But keep in mind, it's also Jeremy's got a pretty slim frame. Absorbing that much contact again and again and again probably wasn't very helpful. It was also his first season doing it. But I think with a team with better spacing, more creation, and just a better roster, it's not going to require him to be the guy anywhere near as much. We'll see his, I agree, we'll see his efficiency go up. We'll see his defense improve. He was good, but not like, you know, high caliber last year. Again, possibly due to exhaustion. Some guys can do it on both ends, just night after night after nights, but most guys cannot. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, they um, also, it's worth noting, like I said before, that his efficiency, he was allowed to take some bad shots. And Tommy, you made a, a good point. I remember if it was if it was you or Dante who made a good point early in the season that, yeah, if Grant can make those pull-up jump shots, uh, pull-up mid-range jump shots, that's a very useful shot to be able to make and it'll make them a lot harder to guard. So he took them, and great, it helped the Pistons lose in the events, but is he going to continue taking those? And if he doesn't, then his efficiency will go up. Yeah, I'm not sure if it was, my, if it was me or Dante, but I know that I've said in the past that a primary ball handler should be able to take that shot. Uh, just because it makes them so much harder to guard. And I know that it's not the most efficient shot. It's not that you want them taking this shot often. It's just if they're willing to take it, the the defense has to cover you differently. They have to play you a lot closer, and that's going to make it a lot easier to get to the hoop. It's just the threat of it, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah if you if you if you have a very diverse offensive attack, it's there's so many different things that the defense has to try to anticipate. They have to play you a lot closer, and uh, that's that's certainly a factor. But yeah, I agree with you. You made the point that it's going to be easier for him this year. I think a big part of that is going to be uh, the guys that he's playing next to, not just Cade, but uh, the center rotation goes from Mason Plumley to uh, Mason Plumley and Isaiah Stewart to Kelly Olynyk and Isaiah Stewart, and both of those guys theoretically can shoot threes and space the floor. So that's going to make it a bit easier for Jeremy to get to the hoop because that's exactly what you want. I mean, you don't want guys to attack the rim. Everything that's done on the floor is just so that you can get to the rim as often as possible because uh, that's the shot that nobody wants to give up, obviously. So when you have a guy like Jeremy who is clearly willing and able to attack the hoop like that, you want to make that as easy for him as possible. And having stretch fives is certainly very, very helpful in that endeavor. Agreed. I think it'll just be an easier time for him in general next season. So with all that said about Jeremy Grant, let's move on to player number two for today's episode, and that is Sadiq Bay who, as we know, came in and had a pretty darn good rookie season, first-team all-rookie. So, Dante, you are, without a doubt, the biggest Sadiq Bay fan of the three of us, so why don't you take it away? Yeah, no, definitely a Sadiq Bay fan. You could you could probably say that, and I'd say it's pretty accurate because um, I've been singing his praises pretty much the entire time that uh, you, you put a mic in front of me and I've been a show. I just think that – I just think so highly of him. And one of the reasons for that is that I, I – I don't know why I sort of have a soft spot for these guys who come in and they're touted as well, well, they're pro ready. And then by virtue of them being pro ready, you know, they don't have a high ceiling or they're just going to be what they were in college. And so Sadiq, you know, coming from Villanova, we knew that he was a big body. We knew that he was strong. Uh, we knew that he was a really good shooter. But other than that, it's pretty much it. And we kind of thought, OK, you, you're going to get what you see. And that's what it's going to be. And then he comes in and he's an even better shooter than we thought that he was. I thought that he showed a very good acumen for finding the basket. And I don't mean in terms of like, you know, we talked about Seku earlier in the episode, how he just found lanes where he could just cut in and get the ball. 
I meant it more in the sense that Sadiq is just always around scoring opportunities. He would just always find a way to score. And then before you know it, you look up and he's got like 20, 25 points. And that wasn't a rare occurrence like it was with Seku. Sadiq, in my opinion, if you gave him free reign to take as many shots as he wanted, he could put up 20 a night. You know, and that's valuable at being that tertiary option there. So, I, yeah, I just think so highly of him. And then that's not even to speak about his defense. I, I think he's a very high IQ defensive player. Obviously, he doesn't have the quickness or the explosion, the explosiveness rather, to be like an all NBA defense type guy. But his IQ is high enough to where he's a plus defender. And then his playmaking, yeah, I mean, he's not doing too, too much off the dribble, but I feel like he's consistently making the right pass. He's consistently making the right reads. When he needs to screen somebody, he does so effectively, doesn't really draw, you know, a lot of foul calls for illegal screens or three seconds in the paint, or he's just a clean, high IQ, efficient player. And I don't really view it in terms of age. I don't really view it in terms of capped upside because he came in pro ready. I view it as a guy who was a rookie, came in, performed much, much better than anybody anticipated that he would. And now he has room to grow from here. So if you're wondering why I'm high on him, that's why. I would give his rookie season, well, I mean, if rookie of the year is an A++, I guess first team all rookie is an A+, so I'd give him an A+, rookie season. And again, I think Cunningham coming in, it's sort of the same discussion with Jeremy Grant. Grant and Bay now have to take less of an offensive workload and can hopefully, you know, start looking for higher efficiency uh, shots just due to the players around them being better and Cade coming in and just being that guy who can create for them as well. So I'm very, very optimistic on what he's going to do this season. And last thing I'll say, uh, we've had some lengthy discussions about his, uh, I guess you could call it an expanded repertoire in the summer league. It's very clear that one of the mandates going in was to see what Sadiq could do with the ball in his hands. And you guys didn't think it went too well. I thought it looked okay. He didn't shoot particularly well, but what I was more looking for was, can he get to his spots? And on his sidestep three, on his fadeaway, and a little bit in the mid-range, I thought that he found his shot. Just because they didn't go in doesn't mean that can't be an effective tool. So I think he's learning. I think he's growing. And I expect him to be even better than he already is. And what he already is, is a very effective NBA player. So that's why I'm high on his upside. So I'll just start with with Summer League because I, I know we've discussed this already. But I'll just go ahead and say I, I disagree with with the idea that that his expanded toolbox and that's the reason he was there really well number one just for you know team building and continuity purposes but number two you know see what see what he can do against easier opposition and stuff that presumably he's been training since the regular season ended now what he had there was largely yeah just this fadeaway jump shot from the post and that's we've been over this that's not an effective jump shot that's not an effective shot for Really, hardly anybody is that an effective shot. We'll put it that way. A, a turnaround jumper from the post. I mean, that's that's just a tough shot to make with any reliable degree of accuracy. And yeah, from three, he struggled as well. But uh, I digress. We're really talking about the regular season. Uh, I agree he had a good rookie season. I think that it's saying he had a great rookie season is maybe overstating it. Really what Sadiq primarily did was come in, shoot the vast majority of his shots from three, do so on pretty good percentage. And then, you know, he did a little bit of stuff inside of the arc. And then, of course, he played reliable defense. You know, that's that's obviously important, too. So you look at what he was able to accomplish inside the three-point line, really not good. Guy couldn't really – it certainly is – I don't think he's ever going to be a guy who's going to take the ball and beat somebody off the dribble. I just don't think he has that. But when he tried, 
except for the odd baseline drive where he would just overpower somebody. Uh, he just he couldn't really do it as uh, as a pull up jump shooter. He was definitely just not good at thirty one percent of his pull up jump shots. Uh, you look at his uh, his fadeaway shots; hardly attempted any of those. Zero out of five. Um, just didn't have an easy time getting to the basket in general. So, uh, you know, on top of those, on top of those factors. So the question of course is, can he be more than he is right now? And, uh, I think of course the next frontier for him, most important thing, you know, maintain your accuracy from three point range, 38%. That's pretty darn good on high volume though. If you look at the shots he was taking, it becomes less good because uh, he really didn't do too well on motion shots at all. If, if your role is going to be in its vast majority three-point shooting, you really want to be able to, to get a good percentage on a, on a, a fairly significant share of motion three-point shots. So that's that's really your thing there. So uh, I've said it before. I'll say it again. I think the three and D guy is what he's going to be. Uh, I, I don't think the fact that he came in and was able to just shoot well at the NBA level in season one meant that he's got like great things to come and you know what, if he's just a, a high quality three and D wing, great. That's, that is an excellent return, right. especially for a guy who you can count on always to make the right play. Uh, when he took bad shots last year, I'm pretty sure it's because he was being told to try to do things. So Bay, you look at him, hard worker, extremely steady, wise beyond his years, good IQ. And you can, you can count on him to make the right play. So I, I think I think just if he if he stays in his current trajectory, I think that's great. Right, absolutely. I was ha- I was a li- I was happy that they brought him to summer league, and especially when they started to do more with the types of shots he was taking, uh, I was encouraged by that because it does mean that they're looking to see uh, what more can he bring. And it was definitely more along the lines of what I thought his role would be, and uh, definitely one of the things we wanted to see from him uh, going forward. And even last year was motion threes because I think even at summer league, the one shot that he was hitting with some consistency was the standing catch and shoot three. And that's great. That's, that's still a very valuable shot. But uh, if we're going to play this fast paced offense where like the defense is just trying to keep up, uh, Sadiq needs to be a guy who's moving around on the perimeter, coming off the screens and catching and shooting. And that's, I think is like the next uh, evolution of his game because that's a much harder shot to, to guard and, and to, to take. And, for Sadiq, I think having him as a low usage, uh, high efficiency uh, shooter, you know, a target for a guy like Cade or Killian on the wing, uh, be, him being there, I think that's the most useful, uh, I don't know what the word would be, a trajectory for him. And that's how you get the most out of him because you don't need everybody on the roster to be like a high usage uh, superstar. You know, you want guys who can still uh, take and make the, the shots that are created for them. And I think having those role players is very valuable. And Sadiq, he is, he's already got plays with the archetype of a guy who is a role player because he just plays as smart. Uh, cerebral is the way that you've described in the past, Mike. Cerebral defense takes good shots. And then if any, if you're going to look to expand his game, I think the one thing you'd want to see from him maybe is uh, take more advantage of that, that posting up that he was able to do when he got the favorable mismatch on smaller guys, because what he would do is he'd, fake them out a little bit on the perimeter. And then if he got them leaning one way or out of their stance, then he would drive in on them and uh, they'd be backing up and he'd be able to take it pretty much all the way to the hoop. Uh, And they were working on that a little bit. And then they were working on that turnaround mid-range jumper, which is a very, very difficult shot, obviously. But if he could knock that down with some consistency, that kind of 
negates the the fact that he's not very good at uh, getting all the way to the rim. That's a difficult shot, and I don't anticipate that that's going to be something yeah, that they want to run the off. Yeah. Say the least, that's a difficult yeah. shot. Hardly no, anybody is going to make that shot reliably. For sure. Yeah. But it's kind of like you said, Tommy, though. A lot of it is about just the threat. A lot of it is about just the fact that if you run Sadiq off the three-point line, you're not completely convinced that now he can't score at all. At the bare minimum, he does have an option C, D, E, in case you know he runs out of room and he can you know maybe put the ball in the basket, and that changes the way you guard him. And one last thing I wanted to, to just bring up, just based on what Tommy said, I can't say I disagree all that much with the with the two of you. You guys do make good points, but Tommy, when you when you say you best view him as like a, a low usage guy, do you? Well, I, I guess I'll phrase it this way: I would view him right now, moving forward, coming into this season as option three, because I think it goes Grant one. Cade too. Those two are going to switch as the season progresses and Cade becomes a better player. And then I think it's Bay three. So if you're the third option, I don't know if you can be low usage, but I don't see anybody else on this team who can score or has the, has the potential to score like the three of them can. So I think they're yeah. better. The, the, yeah. In this season, I agree with you. Bay can be number three. Yeah. But I think in the future, if this team intends to compete, uh, you want him as your fourth or fifth option. I think that's that's a more ideal role for him. And we'll have some money to play with in the 2023 offseason. I think that's when they're going to look to maybe add somebody. Uh, sure. But have money in 2022 also. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's that's more what I mean. Like, Sadiq, when I say low usage, I mean, you don't want to give the ball to Sadiq very often and be like, all right, can you yeah, create for score. us? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For yeah. sure. So that's, what, that's more what I mean. When I say role player, it's like Sadiq is the guy who is a complimentary piece to the guys like Jeremy Grant or Cade Cunningham. And that's more what I meant when I said low usage. I think that's a good role for him because he, like we say, he's not athletic, obviously, like you said, big body, very strong player, but he doesn't have that burst. And that's a really good way to create advantages in the NBA. Yep. That's almost a requirement. Like there are guys who play around it, but uh, Sadiq, I just don't see a ton of acumen for that. So I think uh, playing as a role player is more his speed. Yeah, I agree. It's it's, as far as who's going to be, like the number two, number three option. I mean, the thing with Bay, yeah, you get him the ball and he shoots it. That's that's the vast majority of his utility. And I think that will be the vast majority of his utility on offense, probably for his career. But if you're looking at who's going to be yeah, the number three option, like if you look at how many points Sadiq scored last season, for example, like 12 points a game, you know, that's, that's a respectable contribution. Didn't necessarily really make him the third option. He just It just happened to be the guy who took a lot of shots. I mean, that, but like Tommy said, you're not giving the ball and saying, here, please do something with it. Versus a guy like Corey Joseph, for example, who granted last season really outplayed his career baseline, but 12 points a game, and he was creating a lot of his own offense. You look at Kelly Olynyk, who's going to be able to create some of his own offense. And I, I just think overall, you're just going to have more options on the team. And, and I think they will just be primarily a perimeter shooter. Uh, but from what you said, Dante, or about what you said, rather, regarding just having more options and how you have to guard him, I don't think teams, I don't think those options would cause teams to guard Sadiq any differently and, until he, unless he were to prove that he could hit those shots at on a reliable basis at a good degree of efficiency. They just let him take him. Say, if you want to shoot 40% on turnaround mid-range jumper, you know, jumpers go for it. It's a horrible shot. Or, uh, you know, or whatever else. I mean, you want to take, uh, take step-back jumpers, which... Sadiq likewise did very poorly last season. Uh, he attempted twenty-five of them. He had six. So you got to be able to. You got to be able to. I mean, again, it's rookie season. You hope you can improve on these things, but simply being willing to take these shots doesn't mean that other teams are going to guard him. It's basically. No, I agree. He's yeah, got to hit them. 
you've got to hit. Defense. Yeah, you got to you got to hit them, and then if he can prove that he can reliably bully smaller players, then cool. But at the same time, they're not going to drop a play just for the unless Sadiq improves a great deal. They're not going to drop a play just for the sake of generating a mismatch unless he unless you know you know he can really make something of it in uh, reliably and. And you do it. Other than that, though, sure, you have the option of posting up. You know what posting up does? It completely stunts the offense. And it's, it really precludes or, or makes it a lot harder for you to generate higher percentage chances through the movement of the offense for other players. And that's that's just not a good option. You're not just going to go and post them up on some guy. That's the reason hardly anybody posts up in the NBA unless they're very good at what they do. So he's got to find more. If, he, if he's going to diversify his offense, he's got to find more reliable ways to do it you're not i don't that unless sadiq just blows everybody away as a post shooter i don't think you're ever going to post him up and just throw him the ball and say okay cool this is a good play for us yeah maybe not but so i i guess in the end then what i guess we can all sort of agree on is that the trajectory or, or what his his most optimistic future outlook depends on is his own internal development right so we'll see if he can hit these shots we'll see if he can diversify his offensive game I just feel like coming in as a rookie and playing that well, he does have room to grow. I understand that he's capped athletically, but I think he's just such a smart and savvy player that he can sort of make up for those athletic deficiencies with a high basketball IQ, with a high motor, and with you know efficient touches when he does get his touches. So it remains to be seen, but I, I understand that I'm more optimistic than you guys. But at the bare minimum, it's good that we're even able to have this conversation that oh, this young, exciting prospect isn't going to be an all-star. At, you know, at the worst, he may become a reliable 3 and D guy. Like, that's pretty good and speaks pretty highly of Troy Weaver. So I'm, I'm, I'm placated for right now, and we'll see how it plays out. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's certainly a very valuable player to have. Uh, not Like I said, not everybody can be this high-usage, uh, moderately efficient player. It's, it's very important to have guys who reliably space the floor, and City can certainly do that. He's going to make things a lot easier for the more dynamic players uh, yeah, it's, it's just a useful, I absolutely agree. You can never have too many 3 and D wings. Usually here it's at athletic 3 and D wings, Sadiq. Again, not the most athletic guy, and that's a, it's a significant limitation at the NBA level. And uh, I think that's what is going to make it harder for him to become much more than just a, the guy who primarily just takes threes, and that's fine. You know, 3 and D wings, athletic or not, very valuable guys. Not like peak value guys, not like, you know, oh my goodness, you know, this is amazing sort of thing, but very, but valuable guys, certainly. But yeah, it's, he's a rookie. It's worth noting. He's 22. He was a rookie rather. It's worth noting. He's 22 years old. There are guys certainly develop at that age, uh, but he did not come into the NBA as an upside player. He came in as a guy who can contribute immediately and he contributed at a level that was significantly greater than, than a lot of teams expected. Uh, yeah, it was, it cut, it, it, it came out a couple months ago that, the Mavericks, their scouting staff really likes Sadiq Bey, uh, but Mark Cuban had make, made the choice to, there was a story written by uh, an author from The Athletic, I believe, uh, that uh, Mark Cuban had chosen to give an inordinate amount of power to this guy who came from sports betting or something and really had his own way of doing things. And so the guy said, and so the scouting staff really wasn't consulted at all about about the picks that the Mavericks made and they ended up just taking Josh Green instead. Uh, which apparently made some people within the organization very unhappy. 
it's uh, nice whatever. to be on the on the good end of one of those. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, to, nice. fi- to finally be on the uh, on, on the beneficial end of organizational incompetence. Yeah, Very certainly. Nice. The, Pist- the Pistons have helped out plenty of teams in you know in, in the last decade. Yeah, but, uh, and the, the tables are finally turning. I know that Boston, for an example, I, I have seen plenty of Boston fans like online kind of bemoaning that they took uh, Naismith over over Bay, and I, I feel like you know Naismith could be a pretty good player maybe eventually i'm pretty sure that weaver had his eye on him actually i remember reading those rumors but i'm yes. very very happy with bay and then of course you've got sacramento straight up offering marvin bagley and and it's like i i know we all had a good laugh about it when uh back when that news came out and we touched on it briefly but marvin bagley was the second overall pick in a historic draft class and obviously it wasn't viewed that way at the time but it, it again goes back to and it's funny how all these things sort of round out it's like a guy like seku with all that raw potential, a guy like Marvin Bagley, who obviously is in a different stratosphere because he was a top two pick, but with all that raw potential, sometimes it pays dividends to just flat out be good at basketball. And that's what Sadiq is. So whether he has this significant upside that I think he does or not, I'm very glad to have him. Well, yes, it is helpful to be good at basketball. I agree. <laughs> when you're when you're when you're trying to win basketball games, groundbreaking analysis on the Dragon yeah. Basket Podcast, hundred yeah. percent. Yeah, the it, it was actually said. Uh, I believe it was. Uh, it was Sharania who said that the Pistons were looking into Neesmith with this with pick sixteen. I believe he was taken at fourteen, if I remember correctly. Oh, 14, eleven by Boston. Oh, he was at eleven. Fourteen. I thought it was no. fourteen or fifteen. I could be wrong. No, because the Pistons picked Stewart at sixteen, and Neesmith was taken a couple of picks before that, I believe. So he was taken at fourteen or fifteen, but uh, you know, whatever the case. Nismith, I think they'll be a good player. We'll see which of the two will be better, but it was certainly Bay at number number nineteen was absolutely a good pick for Pistons. Mm-hmm. Nismith was the fourteenth pick, by the way. Yeah, so I'm I'm absolutely not going to, uh, you know, it was absolutely the very 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 good value pick for the Pistons at number nineteen. And if he comes in, I'd say the same thing about him that I said about Seku. Yeah, you take you have to find a guy at that position who is your fifth best starter on a good team that is a fantastic value at number nineteen. Absolutely. You guys want to talk about number sixteen now? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Go for it. Isaiah Stewart. Let's do it. Uh, who, who should we? Tommy, you want to go? Yeah, sure. Uh, I just want to apologize if you guys hear explosions in the background. Somebody is shooting fireworks in the middle of a day uh, in September. Oh, it, is, it, is, it is September the 4th. So, yeah. you know, that <laughs> definitely means that it's the 4th yeah, of any so month. Programming note for you guys. But anyway, Isaiah Stewart, maybe they're just celebrating this rookie uh, with us. We were doing. <laughs> but I, I was so happy with Isaiah Stewart. And again, we were all confused in the draft last year. I, I knew very little about him going into it because I don't like traditional centers. And I think Wiseman was 10th on my board. A Kong Wu was around that uh, as well. So Isaiah Stewart wasn't really on our radar. But then he just comes in and you see why Weaver really wanted him. And we all fall in love with him for the same reason. Dude works harder than anybody on the court. And you watch his highlights. Anytime he scores, he is the first guy. He like he doesn't just turn around and jog back. He he. As he's coming down, he's like turning his hips and then he just bolts the other way. Like he loves to be the first guy down the floor. And that is such an important part of his game and his identity as a player. And it contributes to the identity of the team. And that is just incredibly valuable. Uh, So you have to start with that because you look at him. He's not the most impressive athlete, uh, at least vertically. In terms of his physical frame, dude is built like a brick house. And he definitely takes advantage of that uh, because he likes to play down low and in the, in the post in the restricted area and it's impossible to move him. And he's the guy who's moving other people. And that comes in very handy because he likes to uh, 
use this combination of spin moves, footwork, and then uh, pump fakes to get guys out of their spots and then muscle his way up. And that's a key part of his game because it allows him to score somewhat efficiently. And uh, that's, that's definitely very valuable. I think Isaiah Stewart is just the kind of player who makes the players around him better, not kind of like in the sense of like, you know, what you hope Cade will be, for example, open up opportunities for other guys. It's just what Stewart does on the floor and just elevates the game of his teammates. Like you said, he's a super hard worker. He's uh, I'm not going to say he's like a super high IQ player, but he knows what to do and where to be. Uh <laughs> He sets an example. Absolutely. Yeah, he, he's he does, helped establish the culture of this team in a very meaningful way. I'm not talking culture. Uh, I mean, that, that that's good. That's nice. His contribution to that. I'm sure he's a leader. It's just out on the floor. He plays with just at just a maniacal pace and he knows what to do. He knows where to be. He needs to work on fouls, of course, but he, uh, and he does set a tone. Absolutely. But he's just, he's just a player comes with a lot of intangibles, but I'm sure off the court as well as on. So, he he's a player whose contribution, especially if he can reliably hit those threes, because if you can't hit threes, I mean, it's that's that's a big drag off the score sheet because it just takes a lot of options away from your team. But assuming he can hit those threes, then I mean, this is a player who's going to be a good deal better than his stats because he you know, he plays good defense. He he just does all these things like on both ends of the floor that 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 really just help his team do better. So. Yeah, we did see that his three-point shooting was kind of like waxed or waned throughout the course of the season. By the end of the season, he was throwing up some like horrible misses. I think he has the stroke. I think he'll get there. He he did well and uh, pretty well in interior scoring. He, there was some creation from the post that's never going to be a high. I don't think it's ever going to be a high volume source of offense for him. But he did fairly well from there. And on the defensive ends, I mean, the team was just a lot better with him there. Uh, he he made strides as a rim protector. He's switchable and. Yeah, I really just—I mean, there's there's nothing not to like about Isaiah Stewart. I mean, he is—he's just such an incredibly likable guy. I'd say he's—he's he's probably the most well-loved Piston, universally well-loved Piston since since the going to work era, and he's only been here for a year. Uh, so, yeah, I—I I, yeah. I really just enjoyed watching him play. He's—he's he's got—he's got some ground to cover, but I mean, I guess the guy's uh, certainly going to work super hard on it. I mean, so is Sadiq Bay, but yeah, you can be sure that Isaiah Stewart will be will be working hard to rectify whatever else. Yeah, absolutely. There was a point last season where I, where I was still kind of trying to figure out, and I still am, like, what can Isaiah Stewart be? I think he's proved that he can hang with starting NBA centers. Uh, to what degree is going to be the question. But part of that, and then how can he fit with uh, the future of the team and the players around him? And part of that was certainly the three-point shooting that you mentioned. That was like a late development. And some people had predicted it way ahead of time because of uh, it was something that he worked on in Washington, but it wasn't on my radar until they started to fall. And uh, it was it was encouraging to see for sure. Uh, he gets it off fairly quickly, actually. Like it's 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 a pretty quick release, and that's encouraging. And then there was this other thing that he he did where it actually it was a, it was it affected my uh, my big board when I was still doing the draft scouting stuff because I moved Mobley on my board because obviously, like if if you draft Mobley, uh, those guys have significant overlap and. I was trying to figure out, okay, how do you play these guys together? Or is Isaiah Stewart uh, valuable enough that you pick somebody else over Mobley? And I know you're not supposed to pick for fit. And what happened was Isaiah Stewart starting attack, started to attack closeouts, which meant that the defense was actually respecting him to the point where they were playing him closely on the perimeter. 
And when they would come to contest him, Isaiah Stewart would put the ball down and attack the basket. And that was, I was just thrilled the first time I saw that because that was just another new development. And again, he's a rookie who is just now adding a three-point shot in like the last quarter of the season. That's phenomenal. So I'm encouraged by the growth that we've seen from Isaiah Stewart. And I I hope he continues to work on the three-point shot because that's going to be critical to his ability to uh, contribute to the team and and, uh, to enabling... Uh, more options for the players around him opening up the driving lanes. And that'll be very exciting. I think it's worth mentioning that like Bay Stewart was viewed coming into the NBA as a fairly high floor player who could probably come in and stick in the NBA for a while. The question was about his ceiling. My opinion was that, okay, this is a traditional center. He's got significantly just the centers in general, really you got significantly further to go in order to make yourself a valuable player versus something like an athletic wing. If you can play defense and shoot threes and you're athletic and you play on the wing, then cool. You'd get a job in the NBA for a long time. So my criteria for him were uh, defend on switches and shoot threes. And he can definitely do the former. And I think he showed pretty well that he's going to be able to do the latter. But he's only 20 years old too. He's, he's a full two years younger than Bay. So those are important developmental years. And say without a doubt. Certainly, certainly no. And 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 I'll break in with this. And, and this is just something I thought while you guys were talking. But Isaiah Stewart, I can't really think of someone who embodies the doesn't show up in the box score mentality more, but yet he somehow still is able to stuff the box score anyway. He's just such a talented player. And when you mix that with his gritty mentality and and all of the things that make him such a beloved Piston. It, it really has the makings of someone who, and it's, this is sort of like what you alluded to, Tommy, someone who's consistently redefining their ceiling. You know, I know that you were the most vocal to voice this, Tommy, throughout these uh, this past year of episodes or so, but I felt it too, and I'm sure that Mike felt it too. We never quite knew what Isaiah could be because it seemed like he was bringing something new to the table every single time we watched him on TV, right? It's like here, all of a sudden, he's attacking closeouts. All of a sudden, he's just splashing threes from all over the place. And yeah, while I agree, just a little aside, I agree, obviously, his three-point shooting waned. By the end of the season, there were some absolute bricks he was throwing up. Like, those don't even look even remotely in the zip code of the basket. I mean, his his stroke is very nice. He's a good free-throw shooter. I'm absolutely positive he'll become at the bare minimum a respectable three-point shooter if not a good one and that's something you have to respect when you've got a guy who's as as athletic as Isaiah Stewart you know he's a threat at the basket he's got great touch around the rim and if he's going to drag you out you know to the perimeter too now you've got to worry about such a variety of things that it opens your offense up much much more so yeah and, and all of those things of course are not even to speak about his attitude which I can't think of a player who defines or more fully embodies this sort of new era of basketball we're trying to bring to Detroit, that hardworking, full accountability, absolute responsibility, mentality, like Isaiah Stewart. So I I just am so thrilled to have him. He's, he's just so fun to watch. And I think one thing that gets lost in the look how hard he works, look how much he hustles, look at the leader that he is, is how talented that he is. You know, and let's not forget, him and Cade had some battles in high school because Isaiah was one of the more highly sought after recruits in his uh, in his class. So his talent is apparent, you know, his physical traits are apparent, his mentality is apparent. I think we've got the makings of a very good player who not only could he hang with NBA starters, I think he could be a very good starter. So we'll, we'll see how he fits with Cade. I think it's going to be good. Disappointed we didn't get to watch him in summer league, but 
aside from that, I'm extremely optimistic about his future as well. Yeah, it's just there's not. I've, I've said it. There's not much not to like think about the guy. Even just looking at a personal level, I mean, the guy is just tremendously likable. So the question is, of course, what you know, what would we like to see him improve upon next year? Uh, Tommy mentioned attack and closeouts. That's an important skill. Why is that an important skill? Because then you put him at the three point line, and if he shoots well enough, they have to go to try to defend him. And if you can attack that closeout and attack the baskets, I mean, that's just another confound. I mean, that's another tool in his box. That's another tool for the offense. It's another confounding factor for the defense uh, to have to deal with another way to break down the defense. That would be big. And of course, hit from a, a good percentage from the three point line and just to continue to refine himself defensively. I mean, he, he, he has to, and will always have to compensate for the fact that he is not a good leaper. His foot speed is good enough. I mean, he's not super quick. His foot speed is good enough, uh, and he's smart enough that he can make it work. But the difficulty as a leaper is always going to be there, and, and he's going to have to continue to find ways to deal with that, particularly against very vertical players. He's a good shot blocker, but shot blocking and rim defense can be entirely different things. If it's a guy like, I don't know, anybody comes comes to mind LeBron. There was one game in which Stewart did well against him, but LeBron uh, several times just skied, and he just puts the ball right in between the the pretty much just right in between Stewart's arm and the basket, uh, because uh, or not right in between his arm and the basket, rather just just above Stewart's hand, because Stewart just isn't really a very good leaper. But I think he'll figure it out. I think that if Stewart were a good leaper, he would have been, certainly been a top ten pick. And no doubt. Yeah, without no a doubt. No doubt. Absolutely. Yeah. No doubt about that. And I mean, I think that's that Isaiah Stewart can be a top 10 center in the NBA. Uh, of course, that isn't saying much because outside of like the top five best centers, centers really aren't that great. But still, you know, the guy comes in and is the ninth and ninth to 10th best center in the league. I'm very happy with that. And I think he has the tools to do it. Pretty good for 16th overall, eh? Yep, absolutely. All right. Uh, any other final thoughts about Isaiah you guys have? Love the nickname. <laughs> Me too. Oh, right. Yeah, of course. Uh, one question to ask, uh, do you think he starts next season at the beginning of the season or is it Kelly Olenek? Oh, that's a good question. Tommy, you want to tackle it or you want me to go? I've thought about this. I would start Isaiah. I think the defense is better. And this is an argument that you've made for Killian in the past, but I think Isaiah is just more ready for it. But Isaiah is the future of the franchise, not Kelly. You want to see what he can do. I think he can hang with uh, starting centers in the league. And I think he had, it was like a 12 game sample size where his, it was either his defensive it was defense, but it was it was yeah. against it was against bad teams though. That, yeah, that but still, like I, I really do believe in his defense, and even if he's not the the best leaper, uh, I, I was really impressed with the way he was contesting guys straight up and down, getting to his spots, and I want to see more of that. And in this case, I don't. I think Isaiah's ready for that that next step, and it's like the natural progression. So I would like to see uh, Isaiah start, and I think he's ready for it, and I think that the the the, the org should be considering that at the very least i i think it's a foregone conclusion that he's going to start unless he loses that job and i think the Plumley trade was sort of a precursor to that because while i understand they're paying olenic a lot of money and when i say a lot of money of course i mean relatively speaking because there's pretty much no one on this roster other than grant making anything of significant value it's it's like well kate cunningham is making uh, kate cunningham i agree see still got to pinch myself i can't believe that guy's on our team (laughs) i digress it's still weird it's, it's still, still weird when I see like... Yeah, it's, it's just wild. But, you know, yeah. it's easier to believe is that Kelly Olenek is on the team. And I understand that they're paying him, you know, a decent amount of money. But I just don't see them parting ways with Plumlee 
only to just sign someone else who's going to take that kind of stopgap veteran uh, short-term starter at the center position uh, role. I, I feel like the natural progression, like you said, Tommy, is for Stewart to start. I don't think it's because let's see if he can hang with NBA starters. I think he's a legitimate NBA starter right now. I think he can do a perfectly fine job. But I do think highly of Olenek as a player, so I wouldn't at all be opposed to like a 55-45 split in minutes. Not because I don't want to see Isaiah on the court as much as possible. I absolutely do. And when he's on the court, I want him to be involved because everybody's having more fun when Isaiah's involved. But I think highly of Kelly too, so I'd like to see the two of them sort of platoon that position, and I think it can be really successful. I think, well, it should be noted first around the salary, it's not at all unusual to pay a player you know, 10, 11, $12 million to come and play big minutes off the bench. I think the chances of Kelly Olenek starting for the season, well, number one, I think the salary it's that, that, that there's just, it, it shouldn't even be thought of in terms of what his role is going to be uh, just in, in terms of that amount. You can look back and you see Miami sign him to a contract for very close to that amount per year. I think it was a four year deal or maybe a three year deal, but whatever the case, he was getting paid between 11 and $12 million. Uh, which is a greater percentage of the gap than it is in the, than he's being paid now to do that exact same thing to come off the bench and play minutes uh, at center and at power forward. I'm pretty sure he's going to be the probably sort of the sixth man for Detroit. Who's going to split his minutes between those two positions. Also, I mean, Kelly Olenek for good reason has rarely started games at center in his NBA career. The vast majority of the time he started has been his power forward because though he is a four stretcher uh, at the five and a guy who can attack the basket from the five. He is not a good defender. He is a below average interior defender. He is a below average rim protector, and he's going to get bullied by anybody who is strong enough to to just push him around in the paint. So Isaiah yeah. does not have that problem. Isaiah absolutely doesn't have that problem. <laughs> Isaiah <laughs> Isaiah is a strong interior defender. He is a capable rim protector. And when I mentioned earlier that those stats were against bad teams, it's it's not because he didn't play well. It's that if you looked at those stats, you would think that Isaiah was on his way to like absolute defensive player of the year superstardom because his numbers against those bad teams were very, very good. But the, so the fact that those were bad teams against whom he started was, was just relevant. But yeah, Isaiah doesn't have any of those problems. And if you ever see Kelly Olenek starts, I think it, it'll be because Jeremy Grant is out, not not because he's starting at center. So I'd say, I'd, I'd wager... Well, I don't want to say wager good money, but I'd, I'd rate the chances of Isaiah starting at like ninety five percent at too. least to start out the year. Since, Me too. Yeah, you don't. If you're trying to win, you don't want Kelly Olynyk as your starting center. Definitely not. Not not for the short term and not for the long term because Tommy brings up a good point. Kelly's not the future of that position. It's Stewart. So why not see what you've got with uh, as many of your your pieces that you think may make up that championship contending team surrounding him as possible and see what his long term fit is. You know, yeah. it, it behooves us to figure that out sooner rather than later. Well, and yeah, when we're talking about trying to win, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm firmly convinced that the Pistons will go into this season and just see what happens. I think we'll, so too. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, if, if you want to put a roster, a complete roster out there, that's actually going to go out and try to, you know, and try to do their best in every game. Uh, I mean, no roster of that kind. You don't want to start Kelly Olenek at center. I agree. Uh, yeah. You might start him a power forward from time to time, but you're, you're not going to start him at center, but I think he'll come off the bench and play like, 20 to 25 minutes a game between those two positions and be a significant portion of the significant contributor in the offense and, and maybe be that number three guy really uh, in terms of the roster as a whole. But uh, you know, there's so many, there's so many guys in this roster who could go on to do, you know, could go on to do good things next season. I feel like, you know, guys like Hamadou or probably not Josh Jackson, but you just, you just, uh, it's hard to say who's going to be like number three, you know, coming season. 
uh, or they could all do poorly. Who knows? <laughs> I don't think, I think we've all agreed that this team is unlikely to to play for a play-in spot next season, but it, it should be an enjoyable. I think it could. An, I think the potential's there. I mean, I, I think, wouldn't bet my life savings on it, but I think I a lot be, would have to go right. I a think lot would have to go right. Right a great deal would have to go right. But I think if they made the play-in, I wouldn't be like absolutely flabbergasted. I'd I was got in the top 10. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Chad yeah. Holmgren or Paulo Benchero, twenty twenty. Oh, I don't think we'll be that bad, but there are some interesting names. <laughs> Never know. There's a little thing. It's been very kind to the Pistons in the past. It's the <laughs> oh, it's been very kind for the Pistons to the past once, and that's all it takes for <laughs> yeah. the past once. <laughs> yeah, for the past one time. I mean, if we're looking at the last twelve months, I mean, we've got a hundred percent. Excuse me, at the last three months. I don't uh, know. Let's sh- let's show some reciprocity to the uh, to the basketball gods, right? They rewarded us. I'm not going to trash them. Uh, that's fair, fair enough. Okay. So as always, thank you everybody for listening. We will catch you in the next episode.